Um, so I would encourage uh, anyone who is, is keen, any would-be entrepreneurs out there, to think about um, the way in which they cultivate those relationships um, and what they put in, how they assist others. Uh, very, very small inputs and gestures um, today um, can often come back and be incredibly important um, down the line. Well, it's a perfect day to be listening to the AOU podcast, Entrepreneurial Leadership in Africa. My name is Savannah Olo, and I'll be your host for today's episode, as well as all the others that you've been listening to. Welcome back for those of you who've been tuning in with us throughout, and welcome for those of us who are new um, to this podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about leveraging African perspectives to create African solutions, and our guest today has nothing short of experience. Having graduated from Harvard University with a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering 2014, Spencer briefly worked as a business analyst with McKinsey in South Africa. In 2017, he started working on Cloudline, which brings sustainable logistics access to sustainable communities. Cloudline leverages lighter-than-air technology and the latest developments in unarmed, in unmanned, forgive me, um, aerial vehicles to deliver essential goods and services to the one billion people without direct access to roads and runways. Cloudline won top honors at inaugural Fast Company S8 Most Innovative Companies Awards, held in Cape Town in 2020. So. I just want to take this time to welcome Spencer Horn. You could find him on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Spencer hyphen Horn. Um, I believe it will be in the link or in the description of this episode. And as well as Cloudline, you can find them at flycloudline.com. But we'll get into that shortly. So welcome so much to our guest. Welcome, Spencer. Thank you. Thank you very much, Savannah. Um, I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Great. So before joining Harvard University to pursue a Bachelor in Science in Mechanical Engineering, you had been admitted and graduated from the African Leadership Academy. If you can recall, how's your experience like in the sister organization of ALU? Oh, ALA was an extraordinary experience, uh, very different to any of my previous schooling. So certainly the standout part of that experience was the incredible peer group. Um, and I think another really cool and important part was the way in which real world experiences were integrated into our education. Right. Um, the Probably the most relevant part for me uh, was the student-run businesses that we had on campus. Um, and I was involved in three of those businesses over two years in some way, shape or form. Uh, and that's that's been really formative for me as well. Uh, and the, the one last thing that comes to mind is that, um, you know, I'd gone in having done relatively well at school or really well at school academically uh, and suddenly found myself in a, you know, group of peers who were incredibly strong and uh, had to make that adjustment. I think sometimes that we only encounter at college or university. Um, where we have to reinvent ourselves. Um, and I think it was really good to have that early on um, at ALA already. All right, great. So 
Um, shortly after that, you briefly worked at McKinsey as a business analyst and then decided to take the entrepreneurship route. Uh, founding Cloudline, what sparked that transition? And tell us a bit more about Cloudline as well. Sure, absolutely. So I had for a very long time known that I was going to start my own business someday. Um, and as it turns out, I really enjoyed the nature of my work in consulting. And so I was actually a little bit afraid that I might not have another chance uh, to take the leap and to try the entrepreneurial route um, if I stayed and got hooked in. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so after completing my time as an analyst, uh, when you know most people would take a bit of a break and either go to business school or spend some time in a different kind of job, I thought that was the right time to give it a try. Right. Um, the, the inspiration for Cloudline actually came from some time I'd spent in consulting, um, working out in East Africa and doing actually a fair amount of rural travel um, as part of some market visits. Mm. Um, and just being reminded of the state of logistics um, in some countries, uh, far-flung parts of Kenya, for example, that I traveled to and Uganda. And... Um, and really seeing the economic impact that that had on those remote communities. Um, and that was one of the, the catalysts um, for my taking the leap and, uh, and founding the organization. All right, great. So with every entrepreneurial journey, right, um, there are always the naysayers or uh, people who usually doubt your vision. So were there any of those in your circles or during your entrepreneurial journey that convinced you otherwise to continue with your career at McKinsey? If so, how did you convince them that Cloudline was worth the risk? I, I didn't really have uh, any pressure from anywhere to stay. Um, in fact, if I remember correctly from within the organization, uh, generally incredibly supportive, my mentors um, within McKinsey were incredibly supportive right. um, of the move, especially those who were close to me, I think had a very good understanding of uh, why I was making the, the choices that I did in terms of career. Yeah. Um, I think for me, there was a lot of internal doubt um, because I had at that point, uh, one could describe it as having been in a particular kind of trajectory Right, and this yeah. was this was a big risk stepping away from that, um, and potentially slowing down that career trajectory. Um, but I think I benefited a lot from an incredibly supportive uh, community in that regard. Okay, so um, with that said, maybe you can tell us um, what what the five major realizations were when starting Cloudline. Like, what do you, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a big one. Um, well, I guess several things. The, uh, the first would really have to be, or the, the overall messaging, I think, for me um, going in would be uh, there is no real playbook. Right. This looks different to each entrepreneur um, in their particular journey right. and so when I approach what is sometimes sort of the, the standard or canonical advice um, within the entrepreneurial world and, and you know these days we find that in all kinds of places I, I follow a number of entrepreneurs on Twitter and have a number of mentors um, and so one gets a real real variety of advice but I think that the key thing for me there is 
um, that looks different for everybody. And the context is different for everybody and it's different for our own businesses. Yeah. Um, and so if I summed it up into, into five things, um, I guess the first would be is, you know, when seeking out um, advice and, and mentorship, um, I like to, nowadays, now that I have a better understanding of this, right. like to fill in the gaps in my knowledge. Mm, definitely, yeah. But never, but never outsource the decision. You've got to own that decision internally okay. because we're playing. We're playing in a kind of a. You're playing in a in an environment of probabilistic outcomes, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's the that sort of bleeds into the second key lesson for me. There is that there are these outcomes that are sometimes out of our control. Yeah. And the situation right now with the COVID nineteen outbreak, mm-hmm. I think, is a great reminder of that. Um, is that there have been many, many entrepreneurs who have had a very specific plan for their businesses, and that's completely been disrupted um, by the, the the outbreak over the past couple of months. Yeah, um, we're a little bit more fortunate in that uh, Cloudline, in some senses, is building a business that is for disaster preparedness, that's for getting out into communities with poor logistics access. And we've targeted healthcare from the start um, as one of the sectors that we want to enable uh, getting into those rural areas. Mm. Um, and so for us, the adjustment to the current environment is is not as drastic as what many businesses um, are facing. Um, but that's that's an important. If I I'm thinking of the five <laughs> five lessons you asked before. Right. If, if I gave a third, I guess it would be that entrepreneurs should, I think, acknowledge that they are human, and and you know we we cannot always um, see everything coming, and we can't always control all of those types of factors. So it's okay, um, and and I think it's quite important not to be too hard on ourselves, right. not to be too judgmental yeah. of ourselves. It's always by far the easiest thing to do, uh, especially when things are not going exactly um, as, as planned. planned. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think the, the, the follow-on thought to that would be is, I've learned never to act out of fear of failure. Um, I think there are many, many reasons to take decisions and to to take certain actions. Um, But one of the guiding principles for me is um, to make sure that I'm not being reactionary Mm. and not um, being averse to the risk of failing. I I think that's really, really important. Um, as people are deciding on taking an entrepreneurial path or not, and as they are making very key decisions within that entrepreneurial path. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's. Uh, I think I only hit four points there, but uh, since I'm not at McKinsey so, uh, any longer, that's okay. <laughs> I can't lie there. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Of course. Um, so congratulations are in order. Uh, Cloudline you. recently won the inaugural um, Fast Company Most Innovative Company Award in SA. Um, so how differently are your solutions um, addressing the usual African challenges? Well, aside from being um, agile, as you mentioned earlier, being mm-hmm. able to be prepared for um, dynamic changes like we're experiencing at the moment. So how different are your solutions addressing the usual African challenges? I, I think to the local audience and in South Africa, we're a very different 
um, startup or, or atypical to what's usually seen here for a number of reasons. Mm, okay. um, I think the first is, and this is just a, a big, very easy distinction, is that um, we're working with hardware. Uh, and that's still quite rare. Uh, I think anywhere in the world, hardware is hard. <laughs> yeah, because everybody's uh, trying and, to do you know, something digital, software. With good reason, right? Yeah, there, there's some yeah. very good unit economics and exponential scaling that uh, that happens in software. That's you know, it's magical, and and there's a good reason that folks um, pursue those businesses. Yeah. Um, but there is a need for 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 hardware businesses and dis- disruption in that space. Um, and uh, but it is, I think, because of a variety of reasons within our context here, um, including uh, the risk appetite to get funded in hardware. I mm. think it's not very, it's not as common to find hardware startups that are based on the continent. Um, on top of that, we are then dealing with what could be called uh, pretty non-mainstream technology. This is not, uh, you know, we're working with with airships, um, modernizing a relatively old form of, of aerial tech, yeah. um, but it certainly isn't playing within where uh, the, the standard space within which drone tech is currently converging. Um, and so that in and of itself is... Um, is a a risky proposition, but it's something that we believe has huge merit and advantage in the problem that we're solving, in the particular markets that we're looking at. Um, And I I think the last thing in that uh, um, sort of recognition of what we're doing differently is we really are going for one of those really big billion people problems here. Okay. Um, More than a billion people are affected by the the lack of, of access to roads, um, around the world. So it's one of those really pressing challenges. Um, and I think one of the things that really makes me passionate about working on this is that we have not seen progress in this arena for decades. Right. It's one of those things that's really struggled despite many countries having gained independence yeah. over the past half century or so. Um, we haven't seen that necessary progress. Um, and it's one of those areas that uh, because it's um, relatively different to the problems that we, we're typically facing in, in our settings in cities or in the rest of the developed world, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't always get as much attention. Um, so I think those are all things that uh, you know, we think about differently um, within Cloudline. All right. Well, following up on the kind of problems that you're addressing and like your unique value proposition there, um, the unmanned automated vehicles industry has faced multiple regulatory challenges on the continent, like getting licensed to use a country's airspace. So how did you mitigate these roadblocks and how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because regulation remains one of the key risks for the industry as a whole. Yeah. Um, and and there have been a number of very strong reactions uh, and, and frustration expressed um, at the regulation that's out there. But I think the key thing for us is that regulators are showing an immense openness to granting permissions for flight okay. where safety can be demonstrated robustly. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing is this is this is an area with very good reason where it's safety first. 
it's uh, it's a little more difficult, especially from a startup perspective. It's not really the place that you move fast and break things. <laughs> it's uh, we 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 try to go by the mantra: move as fast as we can without breaking things, right. um, as as we have to operate over overhead and uh, you know over communities and and non-users. Those are all very key things. And the way that we internally deal with this is, on the one hand. Um, the proposition that we are putting forth to those regulators and that we're demonstrating is inherently a safer aircraft. If you look at the airships that we deal with, if um, you know there is some kind of outlier event and anything goes wrong with the equipment on board, um, be it the propulsion, the communication, whatever else kind of technical issue may arise, uh, the first thing that happens is we float we don't fall out of the sky. Mm. Uh, and so that's the, that's the first important thing. Um, as a result of that, we get uh, the luxury of time to resolve whatever issue has just happened. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that ability to, uh, to have a much longer reaction time and to deal with any situation um, versus the usual seconds that you have in... Um, in the aviation space before a situation has devolved out of control, that makes a huge difference as well. And so altogether, that's a kind of a built-in fail-soft is the term that we've adopted um, for that. The, uh, the, other, the other way that we're, we're approaching regulation is because there's a little bit of a chicken and an egg aspect right. to show us or demonstrate safe operation, right? On the one hand, it's like, yes, you can fly beyond visual line of sight flights. If you've safely proven you can fly <laughs> visual line of sight flights. Um, and, uh, and of course, so, you know, which, which comes first? You, you sort of need permission somewhere in order to do that level of testing and um, to build up those flight hours. Yeah, definitely. And what's been really helpful there is we have uh, been engaged by the UNICEF Innovation Office mm. um, in a paid pilot that is also coming with access to some of the drone corridors that they've set up um, on the continent. So they have corridors in Malawi and in Sierra Leone. Um, and so that's our path um, to working along that regulatory approval path and demonstrating that safe operation is that we can go and fly in these corridors um, and not get stuck in the <laughs> in the chicken and egg problem. Right. There. there must be a lot of politics around that, no? I, I would say yes and no. So for the moment, there is a fair bit of um, fragmentation in terms of policies from country to country. And the way right. we think about that is quite simply, we'll go to the countries that are ready for us now, and we can expand into others in the future. But on the, the reason I say in some senses it's a little more apolitical is that one of the older and probably uh, one of the most impactful okay. um, and effective uh, organizations within the, the whole UN ecosystem is a body called ICAO, okay. the International Civil Aviation Organization. Mm, yeah. And... Uh, it's, it's probably the UN body that has the largest membership of, of any UN body. I, I say that under potential correction. Um, but but it, 
pretty much every country in the world is a, a member of ICAO and it has a level of harmonization of policy and rules um, that is and a level of cooperation that's that's downright miraculous <laughs> and enables everything we see in commercial aviation today. Um, and in some senses that almost that's almost above the the daily fray and the you know the sort of the the, the political and geopolitical uh, tensions and disagreements that we see around the world right. um, is that that incredible cooperation that's that's allowed us to to keep our skies safe no matter where we are in the world and the, the really exciting thing is that uh, ICAO is moving forward uh, quickly on harmonizing um, these regulations for for drones. Uh, across the world. And as we see that happening, it's going to be a huge enabler um, for the impact that uh, that drones can have. So we're quite excited about that. So I'm hearing a lot of accessibility when you speak of what Cloudline does. Mm -hmm. And so with that said, figuring out a business model for startups is challenging that alone while dealing with remote communities in Africa. These much-needed innovative solutions sorry, um, need to be affordable and yet ensure sustainability of the business. So maybe you can tell us how you were able to strike this balance. Yeah, I, th I think for any startup out there, uh, the business model that you go for is, is you know, it's, it's one of the, the, the biggest learnings. It's one of the things you plan for and that has to be really flexible and uh, has to evolve as, as you evolve and, and learn from your clients and your customer base. Um, for, for us, I think there have been a couple of really clear cues on, uh, from the market and from uh, predecessors on what works in terms of bringing hardware like this to the market. And, and we've settled on a hardware as a service business model or a drones as a service business model, um, which has been very, very effective by some of the, the pioneers out there. Um, the, I, think, I think speaking to how we make that work for people who are our direct and paying customers, as well as the ultimate users and beneficiaries of those services. If we think about, for example, targeting uh, the humanitarian aid sector and development, developmental aid sector, um, you know, what we're dealing with there is really a set of large institutional uh, enterprise-like customers or even governments. Um, and so, so that's, you know, that's sort of a, a very... Uh, clear uh, customer base for us. But we're traveling into rural communities and, and coming back, and there is an opportunity here not just to take in the goods that we need to deliver for these large institutional players, but actually to find a way to bring back local products from those uh, outlying areas. And, and, you know, and that's something that we're still actively exploring at the moment, but it excites us um, a lot because it's something that could potentially be done on a model of cross-subsidization um, and in a way that can support those local economies um, to grow and to participate in the global economy by bringing their products back to a regional market. Um, and you know, and 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 the, this will be very, very context specific. If you think about um, 
cash crops potentially that, that one could bring back to, to local and regional markets or artisanal products um, that could be produced in those areas. These are the types of things that we would potentially be able to open up markets for and to do quite cheaply. And the way that we eventually get to that affordability is, is going to be through economies of scale. So on the one hand, we've got those large institutional players who can be a beachhead market for us, um, but then also to, to ultimately, as we grow the network, we can serve that many more uh, users. You know, hearing you talk about this, yeah, it, it truly embodies the topic of this specific episode. <laughs> and we're definitely, we can definitely feel the enthusiasm and passion towards what you're doing and the impact that it has. And, you know, where do you see Cloudline in the next three to five years? Like, do we see the same enthusiasm? Absolutely. So, so I think, you know, you've touched on the fact that because we are so driven by our mission here, I think the team really draws its energy um, and, and, and excitement from that. So within the next three to five years, where are we? Well, my hope and, and, and plan is that we're making a real difference on the continent. So uh, by then we will have been, you know, have many, many hundreds and thousands of uh, flying hours under our belt um, and operational centers. Uh, in different parts of the continent to deliver these services to um, to remote and, and rural communities. Um, that's certainly my hope. But yeah, we are, we are very excited about where this goes. So unfortunate that we're running out of time, but we do hope to have you on here again sooner or later. Uh, maybe you can finish off by telling us what key tips helped you reach this far. Hmm. I think this this harkens back a little bit to some of those uh, points I mentioned earlier. I think, uh, but instead of instead of reiterating those, I think the things that I would acknowledge in as having been absolutely crucial to our progress thus far um, are, on the one hand, an incredible network of support. Um, and here I've got to acknowledge the early supporters of Cloudline who have said, we believe in this, um, we believe in the, the team, um, and that we're able to deliver this solution. And we've had um, incredible support from, from early proponents um, that have brought us here. So I think, I think that's been absolutely uh, crucial to where we are today, and I want to acknowledge um, all of the people who have played a role um, in, in helping us come this far. Um, I, think, I think all entrepreneurs should really think about how they can not just necessarily tap into their networks and support system, um, but what they can bring to others. Um, my, my sense of the way that uh, networking in general has worked out is that there are folks with whom, you know, once you've really sort of been in the trenches with them and, uh, and spent actual time working with them, um, that over, over time these are the people who come through. Um, and I think there's an opportunity there really that is one where you, you can give and, and there's a real sense of almost gaining from what you put in um, to that kind of, of network and community. Um, so I would encourage 
anyone who is is keen, any would-be entrepreneurs out there, to think about um, the way in which they cultivate those relationships um, and what they put in, how they assist others. Uh, very, very small inputs and gestures um, today um, can often come back and be incredibly important um, down the line. So, uh, yeah. But as I said earlier, um, do not act out of fear of failure. <laughs> so, yes, uh, it, it comes with its ups and downs, but it's incredibly exciting. Thank you so much, Spencer. It's been great having you with us to tell us more about CloudLine, particularly highlighting how you were able to leverage African perspectives to create African solutions. Finally, maybe you can, uh, you know, tell the audience where they can find more information about CloudLine and maybe more information about you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thank you, Savannah. Thank you for having me on once again. It's uh, It's been a real pleasure and a privilege. Um, listeners can certainly find out uh, more about CloudLine uh, on our website um, and follow along there. Um, we've been heads down on tech, but we'll get better about uh, sharing uh, what we're working on and posting up some videos um, of our flights and progress. Uh, so I'd be quite keen to have our followers there. We've also got a Twitter channel where we post um, some of our progress and some photos, uh, which is at Fly Cloudline. The website is www.flycloudline.com. Uh, yeah, so I look forward to uh, to having folks visiting us there. Well, guys, you heard it here first. Flycloudline.com. Thanks.